We sang, be thou my vision and thou my true word. I ever with thee and thou with me, Lord, I, thou my great father and I thy true son or daughter, thou in me dwelling and I with thee one. I think that that does a great job at summarizing the heart behind why God has given us Nehemiah chapter 8 in the Word of God, and we preach the whole counsel of God, and, and here's Nehemiah 8, and here's the heartbeat of it, to know the Lord, that the people of God who are loved by God would come and hear His words to them, and would know the Lord as the true word of wisdom, and be united to Him forever, so that come what may, no matter what the circumstances might be, and there are quite a few right now, It's not that they don't matter, it's just that we won't be destroyed by them, we won't be crushed by them, we won't be driven to despair by them because we know the Lord. Nehemiah chapter 8, we find ourselves transitioning into a new place in, in this book of Nehemiah. The wall is finished, and so we're moving from the narrative arc of restore and rebuild the wall to now reforming and renewing the covenant people of God. God's people are now protected by the wall, and they are called by God to produce. Go forth and produce the works of the kingdom of God. Be a light among the nations. This little outpost called Jerusalem, this dusty outpost in the ancient Near East. Be filled with the Holy Spirit of God through the word of God and and go and do the great works of God so that the nations might see and worship. How is this going to happen? How will this great work happen of renewal and reformation? We have an incredibly diverse group of folks here. Remember, you have people that were there when the church was planted. Okay, they've been there all the way back to Zerubbabel. Then there's some more that showed up, you know, kind of in the days of Ezra and the reinstatement of the the priesthood and and temple worship. And then you have this great flock of folks who have come recently from Babylon under the leadership of Nehemiah. They're all together. What will be the thing that will bring God's people back to his heart, that they might know the Lord? Well, according to Nehemiah 8, it's when God's people gather to listen. It's when God's people gather to listen to him speak, to understand his word, and to apply it. The first thing that needs to happen to listen is they know they need to listen. They feel their need deeply. We see this in the surprising eagerness of the people. It's all over this text, and it's meant to draw our eye to how eager and hungry they are to hear. But they must do more than listen. They have to understand They need Ezra and these Levites to help them understand the sense, the intent, the meaning of the word so that they can apply it to their hearts. And we're told that this ends with a great rejoicing, not condemnation, not religion, not welcome to church so we can beat you up and wag our finger at you, but welcome, welcome to hear the word of God so that we can be so greatly surprised again week after week that the Lord made us. He sees our brokenness. He still loves us. He sets his love upon us. And even in the midst of the plague, has a great plan for our lives. So the real point here 
Nehemiah 8 is this, I think. If I could distill it down, and this is what we'll unpack this morning, that to know and obey God's word produces great joy among God's children. To know and obey God's word produces great joy among God's children. And and that's what our hearts long for. For the joy of the Lord. For a joy that can't be taken away by edict or declaration or virus or civil unrest or anything else. Something in here that is deep but doesn't come from within here, for it could be robbed, but comes from outside of us, is proclaimed over us, and is ours because it's God's to give. To know and obey God's word produces great joy. And I think the question of our text is, do we believe that? Do we believe it? If we believe it, do our actions reflect it? And is there maybe something for us to hear in here, again, not to be beat up, but to be convicted, encouraged, led and guided to greener pastures, where we might come out of this with the same hunger that these Israelites had. Lord, we want to know you. We want to hear you speak. We want to know what you say. We want to come to trust you even more. That's the question of the text. I think the encouragement of the text is this, let's do it. What do we have to lose, especially now when when it's so obvious about how easily things can be taken from us in an instant? Let's do it. Let's find that joy. Let's pursue it. Let's seek it. Remember the parable that Jesus told about the treasure hidden in the field. Man, if you knew that, you know, down in one of these empty Santa Fe lots, there was a a hidden treasure, you'd do everything you could to buy that field and go get that treasure. Psalm 119, our call to worship, reminds us that the Word of God is full of His treasures. That's the encouragement of Nehemiah 8. It begins with this sort of this communal, well, now what from the people? What do we do now? The walls are completed, but as we've just seen in the last few chapters, uh, there are still very real and present enemies surrounding the people of God. And there's also uh, internal opposition that needs to be dealt with. What do we do? The longing to hear the word of God begins with the people's understanding of their own need for it. How shall we, God's people, protected by this wall, again, now bring to pass the promises of God? And who gets to decide? Who gets to say? Whose opinion counts the most? Is it the politicians? Is it the experts? Is it those with the most advanced degrees? Is it those who are hardest working in the fields? Is it maybe the nobles meeting again to form a litany of committees to solve the problem? Who says? And I think this is a need that we all feel deeply in our own day. That we're living in a time where there is so much information coming at us about so many things, it's just almost impossible to handle it. A cacophony of voices on a variety of issues We not only have COVID that we're dealing with and a plethora of opinions about said virus, but in the midst of that is the economy and your families. And we're on edge all the time. And what about the future? What about my future? What about the future for my children or even my grandchildren? As uh, one lady said to me this week, a dear friend, and she's very wise, she said, there's just a lot of fear right now. 
And I said, really? And she goes, yeah, really. There's a lot. There's a lot of fear. And you may be sitting there going, well, I don't feel very afraid. That's great. But as far as sort of a, a, a global consciousness societally, there's just fear. There's melancholy. There's, there's just people being down. I was just talking to my mom and dad about this earlier. You know, it's, okay, March we can handle. April, got it. May, okay. June, oh, you know, we don't even know what month it is now. I mean, we're just, we're in this with fear and questions and feeling all kinds of things that we can't even really articulate or understand very well, but they they come out in the stuff that triggers and frustrates us. You're not alone, folks. We're not alone. What's going to happen here? This begs the question in our text. Well, what is true security then? What is true security for people like me who have generally had a, a pretty great and pretty wonderful life? Where are we going to hang our hats now? We need walls. There's nothing wrong with walls. Because as I look around, I know there's at least a handful of you with 401ks and pensions and other means of cash flow. And there's nothing wrong with any of that. Those are good walls. Life insurance is a good wall. Health insurance is a great wall. The walls are important. Oh, but when the walls can be so easily built but also returned to rubble, we need more than mere walls. We need the promises of a living God who is personal, who knows us, who cares, and who can truly help. So even as chapter 8 begins with the what now, the the answer is clear for God's people. We need to hear God speak because we've got trouble without and within. We've got a million issues daily. We need to hear God speak. The people come together to listen to God's word. Listening to God's word is where he reveals both his person, who God is, and his plan who we are, what our need is, and what God plans to do about it. Here we see the people longing for guidance. I love what they tell Ezra, who makes his first appearance in Nehemiah's book here in chapter 8. They say, bring out the book, Ezra. Bring out the book, the book of the law of Moses. All right, bring out the book. We don't need any man's opinion here. We don't need Nehemiah with his his incredible leadership skills and project management to show up with 15 org charts and spreadsheets and PowerPoint. Some of you have lived through a lot of years of that. The Lord bless you and keep you. We don't need Ezra and the priest to to come around and go behind a veil and, and engage in a bunch of rituals that we might not understand. We don't need the nobles to get together and enact new laws that, uh, you know, solidify their power and keep the people under their thumb. No, bring out the book. And that's what we're doing every Sunday when we gather here. That's why Paul commended the Bereans, because they got into the word and they wrestled with it. And they didn't just let Paul come in and say, well, here's obviously what it says. Don't be an idiot. We're bringing out the book on Sundays so that we can hear the voice of God to us. And just like us, they gathered as one, men and the women and the children. A powerful picture of the whole community together in unity to listen to the voice of God. Some scholars think there were over 50,000 people gathered down there at the, the water gate. Why not the temple? 
Why the Watergate? It's, it's actually a pretty interesting thing, I think. Two reasons. Number one, more people could be at the Watergate. And secondly, it was uh, near a spring, the spring of Gishon, which meant that more people could be there and they could continue to drink water even as they were fed by the living water of God's word. When the book comes out, what do they do? They stand. And as Ezra blesses the Lord, they say, amen, amen. All of those who had recently arrived from Babylon knew what was happening. This is the same sort of reception that you would have given to King Artaxerxes himself if he had been traveling to and through your town. The people would have stood and in standing shown themselves to be under the authority of the word spoken. And in shouting, amen, let it be true, not once but twice, they are verbally submitting to the very words they're about to hear before they hear them. Because they can submit before they hear the words because they know the words are coming from one who has authority over them. It's pretty amazing to me, actually. They are standing there, we're told, from the morning all the way up until midday. So think two, three, four in the afternoon. And don't worry, I won't take this as an excuse to preach longer, okay? Because we do this every single week, and y'all have Bibles that you can read at home and study God's Word, and there's Bible studies where you can get into God's Word. They didn't have that. But I just want to, I don't know, I just want to think for a second about how beautiful that is. I just want to think about how cool it is that they were hungry and willing and wanting and desirous to hear God's voice speaking to them, that they knew their need. They knew that unless God shows up and talks, we're in trouble because it's just going to boil down to another human being and their opinion, another ancient Near Eastern warlord, some people that can get enough power, enough army around them to you know, be the new king with the new declarations and the new edicts. They were hungry to know their own story in the truth of God's story. They wanted to be fed. They wanted to be fed and not just candy. Uh, you know, Kevin DeYoung wrote an article for the Gospel Coalition that said, you know, dear pastors, the truth is every single one of you could probably preach a little bit shorter. Okay, that may be true. But let me tell you something else. It would be way easier for me and save me a ton of time every week if I didn't, you know, have to study all this stuff, if I could just, you know, go online to freesermons.com, and there's like hundreds of those websites, folks, and, you know, just take one that's 10 minutes and make it an emotional punch with a story about, you know, my old trusty dog and the railroad and something else, and, you know, man, it'd be a lot easier to do that. But no, I... I want us to get dessert. There's no question about that. Candy's not a bad thing, but if all you eat is candy, you're in trouble. We're here for steak and mashed potatoes or to be more godly about it, green chili chicken enchiladas. Um, we are here for the good stuff. Now, I want you to think about your mama's meals growing up, okay? How many of you, if you close your eyes right now, could at least envision some delicious meals that you had growing up in your home? I know that I could. But here's the thing, right? Whatever you're envisioning right now, you may remember one or two really good meals, but pretty much all those meals you don't remember. Sorry, moms and dads. But what you do know is this. 
that day after day, night after night, week after week, year after year, you ate good food. You didn't just eat candy, because if that's all you ate, you wouldn't have lasted long. You ate good food, and the food that was prepared for you by your mom or your dad or whoever, every night, it was full of taste that was going to warm the heart most of the time, and nutrition that was going to nourish you so that you could do what God had called you to do in the world. That's how it is to come and to hear the voice of God. It's not data points. We don't come to hear God's word so we can learn new facts about him so that you can work, you know, win Christian Jeopardy someday. You know, or so you can have some fancy you know, Christian dinner party and throw out your weird little nuanced thing that you heard at church. We come to commune with our covenant king. The king of kings and lord of lords that says, you're mine, but I want to help you, shape you, grow you, teach you, listen to me. That's why it's really important when you hear this thing about the book of the law of Moses. Don't let your mind jump straight to a chapter in Leviticus that, you know, lays out the, the legal rules and restrictions for God's people. Although we can find Christ in there too. Don't worry, we're going to preach through Leviticus. It's actually an incredible, incredible book. Um, 80 weeks in Leviticus. Get ready. No, I'm kidding. Um, The book of the law of Moses, folks, starts with Genesis and ends at the end of Deuteronomy. The Pentateuch, the book of the law, the story of God, creation in the image of God, fall because we wanted to be our own gods. But immediately God's work of redemption beginning and unfolding Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, salvation, rescue, Purchase back from slavery, return to the exiles. The reason they listened to God's word isn't to get a a list of data points or rules. It's so they don't forget the truest story about their own lives. When there are so many things in this world around us trying to distract us or tear us away from this true story. But the text is pretty clear that just listening, just listening is not enough. They must also understand. So Ezra is flanked by these names that I read. He's flanked on stage by 13, and then apparently there are others who are going out into the congregation to, as the text says, give them the sense, help them understand what they're hearing. You guys know the Bible's a complex book. Now, the heart of it is simple. It's so simple that even a very, very small child can understand, and I love that. You don't need to be like, you know, 29 and have suffered a little bit, had at least one mortgage or something like that to get the heartbeat of the Bible. It's simple. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. And yet, even though the the heartbeat truth of the Scriptures is simple and clear, there are so many other things that are difficult to understand. And so the Levites are there to give the sense to expound or exposit the word of God. Now, why though? Again, is this just so the people can understand it? No, it's more. It's two things. First of all, they can't be accountable to what they don't understand. They can't be in covenant relationship and godly obligation to grow in holiness if they don't understand what's being taught. But secondly, how can they apply the word of God if they don't understand it? So this is kind of the difference between preaching, or even a really good Bible study that gets to the heart, and taking the Bible as literature at the community college. 
If you take Bible as lit, you might learn a ton of great stuff. In fact, I might, that might not be a bad idea to do that. But when we understand the Word of God, what's meant there is that we understand what God means for us. So it gets to our hearts in our day, in our context, with our struggles, with our needs, and the needs, of course, of our neighbors. This is to avoid two errors. First of all, that the people don't know God. That would be a great evil, a great sadness. Indeed, some scholars think that's part of why the people are weeping. Because as they hear the word of God read, as they listen to the voice of God and understand it, they sit there and go, whoa, there's all these great things about God we didn't know or we'd forgotten. But an equal mistake would be that they misknow God. And therefore, step into the realm of idolatry, all the way back to the first sin in the garden with Adam. Did God really say? So listening is important. But understanding and listening go together like a beautiful marriage. Because we must understand what is being read, lest we, in our hearts, in our flesh, in our meritorious nature, in our deep religiosity, which Christ is putting to death, until death at death, in, until we're in heaven with him forever. Until then, it's a problem that we want to make God into our own image. I just want to remind us here too that the word of God is where God shows up. Okay? God may impress something upon you. I don't doubt that. I, I'm not afraid of the Holy Spirit. We love the Holy Spirit around here. As long as he stays in line. No, I'm just kidding. No, we really do love the Holy Spirit. The third person of the Trinity. Certainly you might have impressions. You might get wise counsel from friends. Have you ever had someone come to you and say, well, you know, I don't know if this fits you, but I kind of felt this thing or I had this dream and I think it might, you know, whatever. Okay, there's nothing, you know, prima facie wrong with any of that, but we need to test the spirits. Well, how do we do that? According to God's word. God shows up in his word. In the ancient Near East, in this time, it was all about superstition. Superstition was a big deal, which meant the shamans had a lot of power because they were the ones who could read the tea leaves of superstition. It was all private. It was all secret knowledge. It wasn't publicly read at the water gate. It was all a very few little religious people who had all the power to discern the superstitious stuff that was happening in your life. That's not good news. There's no gospel in that at all. And we need to be really careful because we do this in two ways. Number one, I know it's 2020, but we do it explicitly. You know how many people in my generation read their horoscope every day? Like a lot. Amen? Am I right? You guys know. Like a lot of people. I just go Google it. Number of millennials and Gen Z people that love a horoscope, that are into astrology. Oh yeah, we're so advanced in 2020. Simmer down. We're no different than they were in the garden. Okay, so that's an issue. But the other issue that hits a little closer to home for me, because I know to, you know, put my tarot cards away when I come to church. Another issue that hits closer to home for me is feelings. And how deeply some of us are, are just driven by what we feel. Now, you should seek to understand your feelings and be honest about your feelings. And feelings are bad and God's given us emotions. But, but again, it comes back to that simple question of says who? We can't let superstitions drive us, whether, you know, astrology outside of us, or even sometimes our own feelings. We need to understand God's word. And that's where trusting comes in. 
Why do we need to trust that the God who speaks, that we seek to listen to and understand, is worthy of our trust? Because as they're reading the law, it penetrates their heart. Great conviction falls upon them. God's glory is revealed and they realize, as the psalmist says, that no one is righteous, not one. As they hear God's word, they begin to cry and weep. God is holy and we're all Adam. God is holy and we are truly sinners who need to be saved by God's grace. We can't save ourselves. We can't do enough good things to earn it. Our striving has not accomplished it. And I think if we're honest that when we read God's word, something similar should happen too. I mean, if it never happens, let me just put it this way. And I, I, I need to nuance this only because of my own soul. This is not a, when you read God's word and listen to his voice, he's trying to beat you up. It is though, if you are God's child and you read his word and you're never convicted, like you never have any conviction about any sin in your life, I do kind of think that's an issue because we're told in the New Testament that it's the kindness of God through his word, Christ Jesus, that leads us to repentance. And, you know, if you want to go out to coffee, I don't know, sit 20 feet apart or something in 100 degree heat, but that sounds fun. Uh, But if you want to do that, I'm happy to tell you all kinds of stuff that I continue to struggle with. God is holy. He won't be mocked. He won't wince at our sin. And so you're almost left wondering in Nehemiah here after these first verses, like, has this made the problem worse? I mean, the people had, they had fear and confusion and they've got the nations around them and the walls are built and what do we do? But now they're weeping. I mean, at least they weren't crying before they came to church. You're almost left to wonder, like, is it, has this reading of the law made things worse for God's people? And this is where we get that wonderful surprise. Oh, that wonderful surprise. And this is really where the, the chapter ends. You know, they go out, they read the law, they realize it's the Feast of Tabernacles or Booths. They obey God's word. They decide to not only be hearers of the word, but doers of the word. They respond in obedience with action. But it's all founded on this. All of their trust, their belief, their response, their obedience is all founded on this beautiful surprise. As the people are weeping, Ezra and the priests say, stop. Stop. That's part of the story. Part of the story is being convicted and saying, God, help me. Like, like the, the publican and the Pharisee. The Pharisee goes, oh, I don't need anything, and that guy's a sinner. The publican beats on his chest and says, be merciful to me, a sinner. You can imagine his weeping and tears in the temple courts. And Ezra says, no, that is true, but that's not God's final word. That is a part of the true story, but that's not the entirety of the true story. The truer truth of the true story and God's final word, his final yes and amen, isn't your weeping and repentance, but your rejoicing in your Redeemer, Jesus Christ. It's so beautiful. They say, no, today is a day to rejoice. I love verse 10. The joy of the Lord is your strength. You know what the joy of the Lord is? The joy of the Lord is is that he is the king and he has sent his son to keep his promises, to save people who can never save themselves, bring them into his family and his kingdom and rejoice forever. The joy of the Lord is your strength. That word strength in Hebrew can also mean fortress. That means that even though there's fear around you, 
Even though the news, God help us, and social media, don't do it, is assailing us with so many things, we can't even begin to stop our head from spinning. The joy of the Lord, his joyful decision to not only be the promise maker, but the promise keeper, to be the one who is faithful always, even in our unfaithfulness, the joy of the Lord is our fortress. In our fear, in our sadness, in times just like these, it surrounds us with the very promises of God, which are ours forever because of Jesus. Truly, we are like these people. We are those who have been bought back from slavery, who have returned from exile, not to be left in weeping. Even as we experience conviction that leads us to growing in holiness and repentance, not to be left in weeping, never. But instead, instead to rejoice, to hear God's voice, to understand it, to trust Him. It's so vulnerable, it's so scary, it's emotional. There's tears, but that trust does not lead to condemnation. It leads to our joy in all that God has accomplished for us in his son. So I just want to end with this quote from Scott Sauls. He says, For it is not our circumstances, fearful and confusing, as challenging as they may be. It's not our circumstances that tell us the truth about God's character, but it is God's character. It is God's story, the final yes and amen story that tells us the truth about our circumstances. For we know that for those who love God, all things, even awful and disruptive and disorienting and fearful things, all things work together for good. Let us hear the voice of God and trust him in that. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for speaking to us through your word and for your word, which, which is your voice, which tells us who we are and where we can find hope and what to do now. Because of that hope, because of grace, we, we want to we grow. We, we actually, Lord, help us to hunger and want to grow, to forgive others and forgive ourselves, to ask for forgiveness, to go to our neighbors and to serve them and love them, to realize that you are our rock and our strength and our fortress. Lord, your joy to bring about your ends and your purpose, which we only know for you have revealed it to us, is our great strength, even when we are surrounded on all sides by enemies. No circumstance can fell us, for you have lifted us up in Christ. Be with us now as we come to this table to eat and drink and feast upon the promises we have just heard preached, to eat the gospel food that we have hopefully just believed. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.